welcome to Thinking Out Loud, the podcast where we talk to incredible entrepreneurs, actors, scientists, and coaches about public speaking, communication skills, and what it means to be human. Welcome to Thinking Out Loud, and today I'm joined by music producer, executive, entrepreneur, and touring musician, one of my oldest buddies in the world, Jules Lynch. Oh, hello, Will. Hey, buddy. Thanks for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. How are you doing, my friend? Oh, doing quite well. Staying busy. Yeah, it's Canadian Music Week. That's right. That's right. What does that entail? Tiles, uh, basically all of your colleagues in the uh, tiny Canadian music industry are going to congregate into one little tiny hotel mm-hmm. and everyone's going to uh you know tell each other what they've been doing all year even though we've been in contact most of the time um and then you kind of just get a crash course of what it's like to have a real industry that works together right it's, most of the year it's pretty scattered and everyone's traveling but not this week everyone's around right it's really cool um when you have these big conferences or um delegations and everybody comes together is it worth all the money and effort and time that it goes into in putting these events together? Where Absolutely. people, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What no, happens when everyone gets in the same place? Cultivation, right? You know, you can't really plan on how people collaborate, but you can plan on letting people have the opportunity to meet each other. Right. Right. Like when I first went to CMW, I was sixteen. I was in a band, and we would show up with CDs, and we would get we we would perform at the at the showcase, which right. was really fun. We thought yeah. that was the biggest, most important thing. Right. Uh, we just didn't know what it meant yet, but we would go to these conferences and be terrified of these, you know, big time entrepreneurs and managers and mm. really intimidating people. They're wearing suits. I'm like, ah, what is this? You guys had the sort of like. You, were you guys like Sum 41 kind of vibe, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like very pop punk, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. screw the man. Right. But we knew, we were like, we need to meet these people. But we used to run up, we'd have CDs, and we would run up to people, and we were terrified to talk to them, because mm. we kept thinking, one of these people will change our lives. You know? Right. Uh, true or false, maybe that is the case, but we would be so scared to talk to them, we would run up to them, and we'd just hand them a CD, and as soon as their hand would be on the CD, we would run. Run away. (laughs) No introductions. We were just terrified because that's what we uh, thought. And how did that work out? How many of those people followed up with you? (laughs) Well, we went back the next year, and I don't think we got any contacts, but, you know, we we learned a lot considering our CD didn't have any contact information, um, which was no ability to follow up, right? Yeah, so if you're listening, always scribble your phone number in Sharpie over your burned CD. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In this case, we printed them and they were all professional. We decided that it wasn't important to put an email, a phone number, or even a website. And when we say we decided, it wasn't a decision. Yeah. <laughs> it was a failure to remember. Yeah. Really well, yeah, important. Yeah, you guys were, were 16. So yeah. can, you, um, can you talk a bit about, like, how did you, how did you know that you were going to go into music, and how did you start a band at 16 that was actually able to perform at places like Yeah, that's this? a good question. I knew I was going to go into music, probably, I always knew I was going to be involved with music somehow, but mm-hmm. I was still, even at that point, I uh, was still very much, yeah, but I'm going to go to school. Yeah. I'm going to do something else. What did you musically. want to study? I can't remember. Wow, that's a funny thing. I thought I was going to be a, a biologist. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I kind something of weird. It, but it was me, like, deciding something that I thought I was good at. I was right. like, I'm interested in this. I think I could be good at that. Let's try it. Just pick it. It's yeah. like throwing a dart <laughs> yeah. at a board. Yeah, I remember I wanted to be a veterinarian at yeah. one point, and I can't even connect to that. Yeah, now. exactly. I love animals. I don't want to cut them open. Yeah, like though. definitely yeah. don't. In fact, the fact that I love animals yeah. means yeah. I shouldn't not be doing enough. this job. Yeah, it's yeah, not blue. enough to qualify me. <laughs> uh, yeah, so you true. wanted to, to study biology. But like, there was no, it was, again, it sounded right, but it didn't feel right. And right. I had opportunities to do so. Um, I, it kind of cemented that I didn't want to do it. 
which was my big law, I guess, for myself growing up, was I started finding what I didn't want to do. Mm -hmm. And I went to Costa Rica to study biology for a month, and then I came back, and I was like, wait a minute, what do I really remember about this trip? And it was like, oh, it was playing my acoustic guitar at the beach with giant campfire sing-alongs with, mm -hmm. like, 14, 15 people, and going, oh, right, you know, that's what I love to do. Yeah. And it got cemented later when I, you know, we put together a band, and, um... There's there's so many steps that lead up into this that I don't think I would have been the same self starter if I didn't do it. Like the main story about how our band started is we just started jamming. Like me and my best friend Rainer were in band since we were three, so we were like, all right, so I guess six years old. I'll be a little bit more honest. Yeah. <laughs> six three years old. Yeah. Females. Oh, females. So yeah. We were at six, and we didn't even write music back then. But we we would write like you know our brand names. We were gonna be like we had thirteen band names. We had yeah. stickers designed. Like we were like dedicated right until we were like thirteen when we started writing music and. We wrote three songs that lasted three years. So we were like, oh God, you know, like that's all yeah. we needed to us. We just needed a song to be a band. Yeah. But then we met a really prolific songwriter and we were like, okay, cool. We can be a band. Let's work this out. And then he's like, yeah, cool. If you guys want to jam, come back tomorrow. We'll do it again. And we show up the next day and he's like, so we have a show in five weeks. And yeah. we all looked at this so kid. So he was the self-starter. Oh the yeah. yeah. It was insane to us because we were like, you know, we, we did put together our own you know, stickers in our own. Yeah, because a lot of teenagers are in bands, yeah. but they don't have somebody who is like, I'm going to call this person, yeah. I'm going to get us a show, I'm going to figure out what it is that they need in order to book us and what yeah. we can provide and, you know, that entrepreneurial drive to but create the opportunity. Because it's terrifying. Yeah. First of all, we didn't have a band name. Yeah. You know, we didn't even know that we were going to stay or with an this. audience. And yeah. we didn't have anybody. We had no yeah. idea. And it was a decision to right. just do it. And then we had a reverse engineer. We had now five weeks. We were under the gun. Mm -hmm. Had to learn a bunch of material that we just had to create. Yeah. And he was prolific. The beauty of, so uh, he, he of had an insane deadline. Yeah. Right? And we had to come up with a, yeah. a, a band name. And that's one of the hardest things to do in a band is come up with a good name because you yeah. just freak out. Everyone's complaining. And, you know, a thousand names later and they all sound ridiculous. And yeah. then we ended up sticking with a band name that was pretty bad, but it worked. And um, so many learning lessons, right? Because yeah. if I didn't have that self-starting moment, there was no band. Yeah. There was no CMW a year later handing in our CD, which is like a, you know, incredible thing to do. Well, that's right. And that's one thing I want to like ask you about because I, I, you know, starting before you're ready, that kind of thing. Cause so many people, myself included, uh, are terrified that whatever they put out there is just going to be scrutinized and picked apart and they don't want to put anything out there until they think it's perfect. Oh yeah. And it's, mm. it's what, um, uh, Kristen Linklater, who's a, a voice a guru in the theater uh, acting world calls the paralysis of integrity. So you're <laughs> paralyzed great. by wanting everything to be so integral, like have so much integrity means be so perfect. Right. Yeah. But yeah, then, yeah. you know, but then you are paralyzed. And for me with my own music and, you know, now as an entrepreneur trying to put out content like this podcast or videos, I've had to do a lot of work to let go of a perfect end product and just say, okay, just do it. And by doing it before <laughs> yeah. you're ready, that's when you get those lessons. Oh, then you realize that two things happen. One, people care far less. You than know, you, than you, than you think. think. Yeah. And the other thing is that I was growing up in this industry without the social media pressures where instant gratification, instant feedback was there. Our feedback would come much later. Hmm. You know, like for me to hand a CD to somebody, they still had to go home and listen to it and even a day later come and tell me. That's space. Yeah, right. That's not this instant gratification. And then also means I got to cement myself with more and more opportunities before the big wave of rejection. 
right? Just by like handing a CD to somebody when you're in high school is an achievement. You made a CD was a big achievement. Like, yeah, I did. So my confidence would raise up one point. And then by, I, by completing something, yeah. even if it wasn't perfect, you still had that confidence yes. boost. Right. And also the, and yeah. also the delusion too, right? <laughs> like the power of ignorance is real. Like, yeah. you know, you're not going to know everything, but especially being a kid, like, you know, we, like we used to jump off buildings and shit. Like, we didn't yeah. know. Like, I remember a one-story garage. We would just jump off that and laugh. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, we, the, the chances of us breaking our legs are really real, but we thought it was funny. So, yeah. that's ignorance. And <laughs> maneuvering through the world as though you are invincible, both physically <laughs> yes. and emotionally. Yeah. So, getting out key, of, yeah. easily getting out yeah. of your, your, your ability to recognize that if you don't jump off the roof when you're 16, it's going to be way harder when you're 30. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. I mean, making mistakes to me was became my my like well, model. Well, that's really that's really interesting. Because a lot of clients who ask me about uh, who who come up to me and tell me about their fears of public speaking now say I was so outgoing and confident as a teenager. And in my later years and in my 20s, I I developed this horrific social anxiety that I never had before. Mm-hmm. And it came out of nowhere. And I I think it is what you're talking about where when you're 16, I mean, obviously you're, you have tons of anxieties when you're 16, but they're kind of like um, small or muted, you know. I, I wouldn't say general, that. I, I like wouldn't, I, I, they were just different. Like you know, like think about the context. Like when you're 16, one thing that happens in your life. Say you spend one year of your life um, uh, making music or something. That's one sixteenth of your life. Mm-hmm. The impact of whatever happens with that is way greater. Like when a girl first breaks up with you, and when you're a teenager. Yes, it's, but so, but then if it happens three or four times later, it changes. So yes. back then, everything seems bigger. So I'm not going to diminish the 17. No, I don't want to. Yes, maybe small is the wrong word. Yeah, You're but right. I know. But, but it's it, but it's not as the gravity isn't as serious. And by small, I mean yeah, I, I mean um, your outward focus tends to be on your classmates. Sure. No, your world and your world. Right? Your world your is small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's one thing that's really messed up about these these kids now is that their world is too big for them. I think, mm. and they 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 get, you know, but. But back to the point of people developing these sort of right, later, yeah, yeah. Anxieties, later anxieties. Right. I think it's like, you know, when you're 16, a pimple is the end of the world. Yeah, absolutely. But you have this kind of resilience about, you know, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. You have this sort of... Invincible... Uh, yeah, this sense of, I mean, depending on who you are, but you yeah. do generally have a sense of like, you know, I'm just going to go do this thing and whatever. Like you have this kind of whatever thing, you yeah, know, when yeah, you're a teenager. You're free to mess yeah. up. In you're some you're concerned about different things. Yes. And I yes. think when you get older, you start to think about, it's like your reputation to a different, it, your reputation has a different set of values attached to it. Mm-hmm. Before your reputation is about being cool and being uh, sexy. Yeah, or whatever. yeah, 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 yeah. But now your reputation is about being uh, intelligent and being oh, dependable. Oh, and valuable. And yeah, yeah, and absolutely. valuable. Being yeah, able yeah. to create value for people in the professional world. Absolutely. So yeah, I yeah. think that's where, if I, to finish I think this that meandering sense. thought. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, I get it. That's I get it. What, what I think comes from is your your value system for, for how you put yourself across changes. I, I, I totally agree. And I would double that down saying that ignorance is a very powerful gift that it becomes very dangerous. And as you get older, that becomes a big curse. So, But ignorance is curable. So a mm. 25-year-old all of a sudden develops social anxiety, probably gets aware, unconscious of the true nature of their impact on the world. Right. You know, seeing consequences of their actions. You know, uh, those who didn't get it when they were younger in so many ways, uh, who didn't have that experience of screwing up so many times and just trying, 
might have made a very intense, precious environment for themselves to succeed. So when they turn 25, all of a sudden they're in a bigger world. Maybe they get a job somewhere at a big firm or something. And now everything they say isn't cute or isn't funny or it's coming from yeah. the person. Now it's like, no. That's really interesting. Yeah, and now you are... When you start to realize that like whatever you... The, the boys will be boys thing or the kids will be kids thing starts fading. Yeah, and now you... start to realize like <laughs> I'm actually on the hook for what I say and do. Yeah. And I don't get Absolutely. second chances in the same way that I used to. And, oh, you know, yeah. I mean, you also have the luxury of, of, of coming at it again. Like, I was, at 20 years old, I was deep, deep, deep in the music industry. Mm-hmm. For a 20-year-old, it was insane. Like, yeah. to me, the level of responsibility, the high level of, of interactions with... Could, uh, could you feel it? Like, when oh, you were 20? Like, you knew To how... a degree, I did, because yeah. I knew when I was there. But I also got my ass whooped so hard. And I got broken down so hard that I was able to rebuild myself back up in a way that made me far stronger. So what were those moments? Um, and were they were they people yelling at you? Were they people going, you fucked up? And To a degree. Yeah. I, um, one, there was a couple of really key moments. I thought one was the power of listening, right? Um, as a 20-year-old, your ideas are more important than anybody else's. Mm. And that was helpful for me. That was the ignorance. I think a lot of people yeah, still feel yeah, that way. Yeah, 100%. At many and maybe they never learned lives, that until yeah. they're 25 or yeah. 30. And then maybe that's a development of the social anxiety when they yeah. find out that, oh, shit, maybe I should be listening and I should be... T-. But I learned it early and that helped my development. And the reason is I was, I was a really dangerous combo of ignorance and arrogance, right? Mm. Meaning those, I just thought I knew better. Yeah. They often go together. But I thought yeah. I knew better. And here I am dealing with professionals who've been in the, in the industry for many, many years, longer than I've been alive. Yeah. And I'm trying to tell them how things are. Right. Yeah, nobody wants to hear that. Mm-hmm. And so he, did people like slap you down verbally and just say like, you absolutely. don't know what the fuck you're talking about? And, and worse, yeah. I think they showed me that even if I knew what I was talking about, the fact that I could not participate because I was just so direct about this is how things should be and not appreciating the wealth of experience that could be around you mm. i've lost the value of what i'm trying to say right because it's not about being right it's about being valuable right, right. like being correct being i know that this kind of music's gonna work that's cool but do you know and if you don't know i'm gonna question and how you, do and- you and how do you get your message across like messaging is so important right i talked to so many people about this like just because your content is interesting or right or like just because you think that what you're saying is correct or important or valuable, you can't just stand up there if you're giving a presentation or sit there in a meeting and go, yeah, well, this is it. So if you don't get it, you're an idiot. <laughs> like, I mean, you could do that, but your impact will be so much less than it could be if you think about your messaging yeah, and the absolutely. way that people receive information. Absolutely. And so yeah. what you're saying is so important. Like, just because you're right, even if you're 100% right and you're 100% certain that you're 100% right, you can always be humble in the way that you present. And, and not just humble, but strategic. 100%. Know who you're talking to. So if you're talking to people who have been in the industry for so long, and you, but you realize that coming in with this certain level of arrogance and surety and attitude... Turn them off. Oh, so, yeah. what was the adjustment you made? Well, a couple adjustments. One was two. Uh, there was three and main key steps. One was listening more, and this was something we all we all learned as a kid: two ears, one mouth, kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, when you're in a business meeting and your quote unquote boss or your mentor is talking, take the time to listen to them. Mm. 
I used to, uh, my brain moves very fast, so I would interject my opinion before a thought was completed, mm. and thus I could miss a very important learning lesson or miss a very important conversation. Right. And then stop presuming that everybody sees the world the way I do it. So those were the first two things. So mm. Basically, listen more, don't interrupt me, and now stop presuming that my message that I have is understood by everybody. It's now my mission to be understood. Mm. And the way I was hammered, it was... We do not think we know. So if you think about something and you think you have an idea, do the research. Do the uh, go deeper. Uh, uh, test it out before you come to me and tell you. So then you know something. Because challenge your own assumptions. Like if yeah. you think you know something, challenge yourself and say, "Do I really know this? How can I prove it?" And then you have to yeah. question it. Is it just because I think I know something, or do yeah. I now know something because I've got evidence and my experience has taught me this works? Yeah. Where I didn't differentiate the two. Right. And that was part of the arrogance. Yeah. Was thinking just because my gut reaction can be right and me being honest is helpful. And yeah, sure, those are really good tools. I knew from those points, if I don't do the research, it doesn't matter if I am right in the end. Mm -hmm. Because I walk in, I think I have an idea, or I think this is the best approach, versus I know this is the best approach. Mm -hmm. Because you need to do the research. I've now went down the road and I go, okay, this is the answer to that question you asked me. Because I remember my boss would get so mad at me, I mean, Jules, can you go do this thing? And before I even left the room, I'd have five ideas about how to do the thing. Mm -hmm. And she's like, you can't, know this answer because you didn't know this answer until I asked you this question. Yeah. Now I put it in your head and the five things that are coming in your head, those are your thoughts. Work them out. <laughs> you know? Come back to yeah. me with the answer. Yeah. And there is an answer at the end of this. It's right. a hard deadline. Well, it could be. I didn't ask what it could be. Yeah. What is it? And right. so it made my messaging, if the, to tap into messaging, have to be a lot more direct. Yeah. And I had to slow down and, and think. And be, be backed up by... <sighs> By actual, that was the hardest thing for my 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 crazy fast paced part. Yeah. Like, ah, and I get passionate. Yeah, because you have this you have this energy that I also have, which is that we get excited and we just want to layer. Like if we're talking about things, like in this podcast or or whenever we talk, and we just want to layer information on top of itself until we climb up on this massive pile of ideas <laughs> that is just you know can be hard to follow. Oh. But yeah, if you have a task to complete. Or if you're trying to convince somebody of something important where that a decision rests on, you have to, to, to you know, I always call it trimming the fat. Mm. You have to be able to trim the fat. Mm -hmm. What are you saying? And in how few words can you say it and still mm. make the impact? Mm. You know, yeah, yeah, 100%. That's, that's huge. Well, that's simplicity. I think that the music industry runs on that. Simplicity is so powerful, right? Because mm. I think I, before I went into the working world, I kind of didn't understand that impact. I didn't understand being simple. I thought was a, a oh, I thought that, I compared that to being unintelligent. Mm. But truth is, simplicity is the core of messaging. Yeah, like economy of language. Yeah, it's so powerful. Yeah. If I can convey a very complex idea in a very simple way that can be understood by a lot of people, that's true genius. Yeah, right. That is true power if you want to like well yeah nobody impact. 
it, you know, all the quotes that people tell each other are posts or proverbs or stuff. They're not proverbs because they're like, well, in some cases it might be that this is true, but then again in others. You know? um, but yeah, simple distilling something, yeah. you know, like a rolling stone gathers no moss, whatever the hell it is, right? Like yeah. distilling some kind of wisdom in a in a pithy sentence that doesn't have a single extra word that's not needed. Right. That is very difficult. It is hard. But yeah. I also knew you needed an audience to test these things out at. Right. Mm. I think if uh, I didn't, I wasn't a good public speaker because I just felt like that was what I was meant to do. It was because it became a natural evolution of what I needed to do. Right. I mean, like, I, if I never had the opportunities to talk to people that I didn't know or speak in front of a room um, of people that I didn't know or many, it wasn't just a one on one conversation, which I by far prefer the most, mm -hmm. um, then I wouldn't have gotten good at it. And the right. reason why I got good at it is because I I did it at the time where my fearlessness was still very much part of my ignorance because I didn't know better. You you didn't know enough to be nervous. But I had yeah. the opportunities yeah. to get through it. Like um, I would go through four or five meetings a day. I had a book very very and use my scheduling really intense. And here I am, twenty one, having meetings from people that go from you know my age right up until in their 50s who have years of experience. Mm -hmm. And I would also go into big boardrooms and have large conference calls. And I had to do this daily and, and, and weekly. And so after a month, I would have spoken to 40 people, 50 people mm. in a very business intense environment. Yeah. But I would do it four or five times, right? Like a yeah. day. So when I messed up one, I would be able to try it out the next and try it out the next. Right. But it was weird because in the beginning... I didn't get those opportunities initially. I had to sit in on the meetings. Right. And then I had to learn how to listen and learn yeah. how to take notes. And those things of watching somebody else do it, I found that I became good at it because I was able to take the best of what someone was able to teach me by just being around and experiencing it. Because there was no book that really helped me learn how to speak to people. Yeah. And then I developed my own strategies. And a lot of my strategies in, in quote unquote pitching, I know like a lot of your stuff you talk about is try to convey messaging and mm -hmm. get your ideas out. I found the anti-pitch method was the most effective mm -hmm. to me because I'm in an industry that everybody, especially who loves pitching. music, and yeah. they're also, they want in. It was easy to sell to be like, hey man, music. And my job, particularly when I was in it, was helping people get money everybody wants money yeah so it was easy for me to get somebody on board with what i'm doing because i'm aligned with their goals already someone walks into my office because they need help someone walked in to meet me because they need money someone walked in so that's that's interesting so so in those like sales moments so people would find you an artist would find yeah. you and and you're you're this is as a grant writer I mean, this was yeah. grant writing and, and royalty collection right and, and, so yeah. they come in they already want your service or they may not even know they wanted the service but they need it because there's no way they don't need money right there's no way they yeah. don't need infrastructure so what you were offering was was it basically sold itself so yes. you had to step you had to get out of the way i did and you also didn't have to oversell it because it was such a i could not oversell yeah. it because that would create promises and that you couldn't always deliver on you had mm. to undersell it to weed out the chaff i had to make it so hard for people to come work with me so then those who did work for me were ready. It was so tough because it was a service that right. everybody needed, but I didn't have enough time in the day to yeah. do everybody. So I had to only go for the best. Right. Which meant the anti-pitch method I like thought was so key. And the anti-pitch was, you're not ready for this. And, <laughs> yeah. And it was so counterintuitive yeah. that it made people have to prove to me they were. Right. And it was so effective, right? 
Um, and I did it because that means I got to be honest with them. Because when they were ready for it, I could tell them that confidently. Yeah. Because I'm so used to telling them that you're not ready. You're not yeah. ready. You're not ready. And that actually made people come back to me and be more prepared. Or because then eventually they were pitching me. Well, that's that a good. Crazy. That's a good lesson. Is you know remembering that when you start your business or you know your your as an entrepreneur or if you're trying to you know a lot of our listeners are wanting to be um, wanting to speak for a living be speakers and, and get their message out there. And usually the entrepreneur and the speaking go hand in hand. But in mm -hmm. general, it's, it's, you're going around and you're kind of pitching yourself and presenting yourself to people. Remembering that you, that what you do is the prize and that other people should want to come work for you is a huge uh, mental shift that has oh, to occur. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I want to yeah. go back to something okay. uh, because, you know, you talk, well, not really go back, but it's this, this anti-pitch uh, thing, you said, you know, um, the anti-pitch is actually, what I, what my philosophy is, is not, I don't, I, I don't believe in technique over um, emotion. I actually True. believe in emotion over technique. Some True. people need technique because they just, they can't be understood and their lack of uh, facial expressiveness and vocal control is just making so that people can't hear and receive their Fair message. Enough. Fair enough. But, yeah. If they start from a place of, and it's something that you said, I wasn't good at public speaking because I wanted to be good at public speaking. It was because it was a means to an end of what I really wanted to do. Yeah. So that to me is the absolute core. Mm -hmm. You have to find a message or a way of distilling what message you are speaking about so that you don't care what you look like, you don't care what you sound like, you don't care who in the room likes you, you just want to be understood absolutely and you just want people to get your message i think you nailed something but one to be understood is uh, a serious skill and you have to work at it because yeah. if i have a conversation with you and we walk away being completely different thoughts after our conversation then both of us have to work on our conversational skills mm -hmm. so if you go to a pitch meeting and you know what you have to offer is valuable to the person listening and they don't get it it's not that the product wasn't good is that there's some way that you're not conveying something yeah and i find that that was how what i got to hone in by doing it lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of times with tons of people right to the point where i recognize that oh um honesty is the best place to come from emotion is the strongest place to speak from because mm -hmm. then you can add in the technique and the strategy you can add in the honing of the skills that you really do need to work on all of us do all the time yeah I was had to learn how to listen. Yeah, I learned how to pay attention. I had to learn how to be more direct, more simplistic. Right, and and actually recognizing that if I have a common goal with somebody, that's the best way to start. Mm -hmm. You know, if I were to walk you through my initial pitch meetings, the first thing you do is find finding find a groundwork, something you both can agree on, and this mm -hmm. can happen with any conversation with anybody you talk to at all times. If we find a point where we both agree on something at the beginning, at the beginning, yeah. it's the found it's the foundation. Now, no matter where we go from here, we can always come back to that place of shared experience, right? You know, and I think that is key when you're talking to a group of people. You know, and you see with comedians all the time, they go like come up on stage and they say something that's like, so about that president, eh? And I was like, oh, and you find this relatability to draw back to. And you, you get that in, in, you know, with my pitch meeting, I'd be like, look, we all want to make money or we all are here. We, this is, we're here at a tech conference and we just tried, we want to build the most coolest, shiniest thing. Yeah. There's something people go, yeah, we do want to build. Like, all right. Mm -hmm. In the music, it was so inherent. I got to. We I, all want money, and we all want to make great. Or, music. Oh, you want to make great music. Yeah. You want a great fan base, yeah. which translates into money. So look, right. we, we find Do a you, common ground. That's a good question. Do you find that most artists are more about 
um, are less concerned with the economics of their business and they just want to make their art? Or do you find there's a mix or more, more, most well, for the money? Like what's your... I find there's a big difference between artists and entertainers, right? Yeah. You know, if you're an artist and you, it's a form of expression, you should just do it. Being a professional artist, so something where you're making your money off it, then it's the whole conversation is about the economic approach. Right. But that makes it easier to understand and separate the two. Yeah. Right, is that when you're talking to someone who wants to monetize uh, their career, be it even a public speaker, someone's like, I've sure. got these great ideas, I'm a motivational guy. I'm going, great, now your job is the economics. Because yeah. your skill set and your value, what you're bringing is your art. Yeah. That's incredible, and you need to always you work on that. You need outside help for somebody to, to, yeah, to help you monetize. Yes, monetizing yeah. now becomes your job, because you enjoy doing everything else, so now mm -hmm. you have to do the thing that surrounds... You know, yeah. even being a guitar player, if you want to play guitar for a living, your job is to get into many venues to play, whether it's a studio or stage, yeah. whatever. Your job isn't necessarily to play guitar. That's what you do anyway. Yeah. You become a professional, you need to treat it like a professional. Yeah. I need to have discipline, I have schedules, I need to have deadlines and yeah. goals. And... and you need to fucking practice. Well, practice. That's the other yeah. thing. And that's, hey. what I, that's what I tell to like my, a lot of entrepreneurs I have who are tech people and mm. you know they come from a coding and a... Um, an insulated environment usually where they're on the computer and you know it's like your your main job is this part but mm -hmm. you know you're gonna have to perform mm -hmm. and in order to perform you got to get in touch with your body and you got to practice you got to do right. daily exercises you have to figure out how to move and how to breathe and how to stand there and mm -hmm. and feel comfortable in your own skin mm -hmm. because that's part of the job 100 yeah 100%. And, i think uh, maybe that's that's a tough thing for the tech entrepreneur i'm sorry but uh sports and music connect in that way a lot mm -hmm. you yeah. have to practice to get on the field like yeah you don't get to play the game unless you shoot lots of free throws and you don't get to even play guitar unless you bang out a few times like it just doesn't happen naturally yeah it's time and energy right yeah so treat the same way when you're talking to people like i hope anybody listening to this can can do that i hope anybody even just walking out today and talking to your grocer for five minutes to see find out about their history find out a little bit more about what mm. it is that your your environment by interacting with people yeah so well that's hard. it too because you distinguish between artists and entertainers and that is about knowing people mm -hmm. what kind of personality types are you working with what do they want mm. where do your desires uh, intersect and mm -hmm. overlap what can you offer them what can they offer you mm -hmm. that comes from being observant mm -hmm. and looking at people and talking to people yeah that's such a good piece of advice is go out and talk to whoever is around yeah and just see like what's this person's story i try to like i used to hate the question what do you do but <laughs> i don't hate it anymore because yeah. if you ask it with some real interest and i mean some people hate the question because they don't like their job yeah true. but if they like their job they'll probably have a chat with you mm -hmm. and that's just a starting point. Yeah. And just talking to them. It's the foundation we were Yeah, exactly. About. Yeah. It's the foundation. Why do this? And you go, oh, cool. How does that work? So what I usually do is I follow that up with a very specific question about what their job is. Mm -hmm. And I try to think about what can I learn from this person? That's right. And they, they tell me, like, if somebody goes, I'm a fucking actuary for an insurance company. I go, okay, so what does your week look like? Like, mm -hmm. what is what are your actual tasks, like, week to week? What is mm -hmm. your job look like because i am interested it's somebody i don't know it's from a new world yeah and by doing that more often i feel like i can be a better coach because i have access to more different people's lives mm. and you know mm -hmm. the more you build that oh my god you can learn you can cross pollinate so much by yeah. interacting with anybody yeah it's tough for sure but i mean you got you got to deal with the introvert right those oh, people yeah. who are really needing these kind of skills don't have that natural i'm going to use the word curiosity and that would be the biggest weapon for anybody wanting to speak in public is 
You need to be curious. Yeah. You need to feed that curiosity. That's going to give you the motivation to practice, the motivation to learn the strategy and to learn something from someone else. Yeah. Curiosity too is about yourself. I say, I, I say mm-hmm. this a lot in workshops is be curious about your own habits. Mm-hmm. If somebody tells you you mumble, don't go, oh, fuck, I mumble. Or don't go, well, you do this thing too. <laughs> fuck, who are you? Yeah. Just go, oh, that's interesting. Thank you for that feedback. I mean, that sounds like a douchey kind of corporate uh, response, but it actually is a gift to to receive that. For somebody yeah. to say to you, you mumble, you can kind of go, oh, I didn't know you were perceiving that. That's interesting. I can actually take that and start to think about it. Mm-hmm. That's what I do. I, I know what my habits are. Mm-hmm. I know I say, you know, too much. I know I tend to talk too fast. <laughs> yep, I know I, I tend know to that. drop, you know, uh, oh, I just way. did it again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I tend to drop the energy at the ends of my sentences. I tend to overload my clients with too much information and, and, you know, not trim the fat myself. Mm -hmm. But by honestly looking at my own habits, I can be a better coach and Mm -hmm. I can be a better speaker and, and just not, yeah, look at it as curiosity and not a shame. No, yeah, absolutely. Get rid of the shame. If you have a great curiosity, you will find a huge motivation Mm -hmm. to do self-betterment, to actually learn from people and you realize that that is is really helpful to your life. I mean, I do the same thing. I'm, I am come from a long history of being a mumbler and a long history of, <laughs> of basically battling with a speech impediment, you know, for right. most of my life. And yeah. it's so funny that when I'm passionate about something, it just disappears. Yeah. Oh, and I relax in a situation where, I don't know, I've got all kinds of tactics. One, uh, uh, do the right amount of like the anti-pitch mentality, calm me down. Because if I knew right away that I, what I'm providing to someone is valuable, uh, that means I'm not as stressed about the yeah. outcome. It also meant that I would, just by being more curious around somebody else, maybe I can learn from them, even if our business interaction doesn't pan out. Yeah. I'm always can, finding something useful. For sure. Every failed, every failed pitch is a learning opportunity. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we got to wrap it up there. It's uh, yeah, we could keep going forever, but Woo-hoo! there's this one uh, this one client I had, one of the first clients we ever had, who had a really really uh, difficult stutter, and he'd been to speech pathologist for years. Um, and then after a couple months, I was giving him so much technique, like you know, raise your eyebrows when you're talking to look more engaged. You know, uh, when you when you're comparing and contrasting two ideas, like put one on your right hand and hold it out to your side, and then put the other on your left hand and hold that out. I was giving him, so, uh, you know, the stance and his voice and everything and breath, and then just one day he just stopped stuttering for a class, like a whole class, and he just it's like he forgot. He forgot to stutter. He forgot to do this thing that was built Sick. so deep. And so I was just cool. like, you know, the more, yeah, the, he, his mind was so wrapped up in the curiosity of doing all these new technical things that he just forgot to do the, <laughs> the nervous habit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's what it is. It's like become curious and you'll forget yeah. to be nervous. You'll forget. <laughs> well, forget that you're, you're, you know, that you're scared of these things. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. God. I, I now relish it. So anybody who uh, wants to know what it's like to go on stage in front of hundreds and thousands of people, I'll tell you. Uh, anytime you get nerves in your belly, that's just a sign that you care. Yeah. I still get it. I and try, get... yeah, you don't have to stop it. No, yeah. not at all. I yeah. now learn to embrace it because it's terrifying, mm-hmm. but it makes me feel alive. So I used to puke before concerts. Right. And I used to, you know, because the stomach, the tensity. And arms my... are sweaty. Knees weak. Arms But are that made yeah. me realize that the days I get up and start speaking in front of people or playing a show where I don't feel it, I realize it's because I don't care. I did not care. It means it wasn't worth it. I was playing a gig that didn't matter. 
uh, or I was talking to a bunch of people I knew who weren't interested and my stomach just didn't have the nerves. Yeah, that's not a good feeling. No, it's horrible. It's yeah. also, you realize that's a tell sign that it wasn't worth your time. Yeah. So to me, when I get that gut feeling, even before doing a podcast, my brother's like, oh, oh, we know this is cool and important. So guess what, Jules, be on. Yeah. That means I care. Yeah. And so anybody out there, you gotta find you're that worried feeling. about your nerves, like yeah. that just, you it's just realizing indicator. you are, you yeah. So how can uh, people find you if they are musicians, if they want to learn more about you, if they want to check out your music, you just yeah, dropped yeah. an album, yeah, where yeah. can people find you on oh, social yeah. so media? I, I, I'm, I go by Kilo Jewels, that's my uh, producer name, right? So Kilo, Kilo is K-E-Y-L-O-W-J-U-L-E-S, yeah. uh, or Jules Lynch, you could hit me up on, uh, um, you know, online and Facebook and all that stuff. I am, uh, we dropped an album with the artist Shoddy Hora. Oh, yeah. That was great. It's uh, a really great album. Uh, it's called Salt of the Earth. You yeah. can check that out. And then, I can vote you know, for it. We're touring across Canada starting June, so this should be fun. Amazing. But hit me up, man. I'm around. Thanks so much, buddy. Much love. Appreciate it. Out loud. Wee-hoo. You've been listening to Thinking Out Loud, a podcast brought to you by Out Loud Speaker School, an agency of actors teaching entrepreneurs, business professionals, and coaches how to be better speakers through acting techniques. For more, follow us at Out Loud School on all social media or visit us at www.outloudnow.com and find out how we can help you supercharge your speaking skills. Thank you.